see Jesus someday by and by. Someday, someday these eyes shall behold him in that city on high. We must not linger, we must keep moving. Jesus is leading the way. Shouting and singing, joy bells ringing. We shall see heaven someday. Someday, 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 someday.
take our songbooks and turn to 185, My Savior's Love, 185. our love for him here tonight and truly folks he's worthy of our love our affection the bible commands us to to worship him with all of our heart all of our soul all of our strength but not just because it's a commandment but i think we need to focus tonight that he is worthy of our love when we think about his love for us you know the bible says he could have called 12 legions of angels that tells me that he didn't have to do what he did for you and i but he did it out of love and that ought to mean something to us if that doesn't touch someone's heart if that doesn't break our heart that doesn't turn our will then we're we're missing something the devil's got our minds blinded or something so let's focus on his love as we continue on this great this is one of my favorite hymns by the way and so let's continue on the second verse let's sing it from the heart
good singing this morning, this evening, today. This uh, Patriot Day, we will never forget what time of day it is. <laughs> Welcome to the service this evening. Brother W.B. Sharp, would you lead us in prayer, please? Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, Brother Sharp had to fill in over at Calvary Community on very short notice today. Brother Brett Williamson is feeling pretty sick, so do pray for him and appreciate Brother Sharp filling in for them on short notice and glad that everything went well over there this this morning. Uh, Continue to pray. We've still got a handful of guys that are rotating and going over there and preaching and trying to help a a struggling church, so to speak, and I'm glad that we have the ability to be a blessing to other Christians. Had a good time last night, had quite a few people from two different local churches, and uh, they all seemed to really enjoy being at the meeting last night, and the message was tremendous. The fellowship afterward was just wonderful, and so um, uh, we sure did enjoy last night's special youth emphasis meeting. Announcement-wise, I'm going to start out with the most important one first, okay? Is everybody ready? This is, like, so important. Everyone, as you leave church tonight, grab a cookie. We have leftover cookies from last night. They are in the chapel and uh, right on that table over there in the corner, correct? So grab a cookie, and uh, there may be even... There's quite a few left, correct? So grab a cookie. If you want to hang out... Make sure everybody gets through there and gets their cookies. You're welcome to take another one because whatever's left, I have to eat them. (laughs) My wife's like, yeah, we know that. So anyhow, um, do appreciate I wanted to say thank you to all of the people who helped out. You guys did a great job uh, bringing the the desserts and uh, everything that went into the meeting last night, people who did some extra special cleaning this past week in preparation for it. And then last night after the service, I encouraged anyone and everyone to help tidy up. You know, we the service ended up, you know, a little bit late, not super late, but eight, uh, a little bit after eight o'clock. And we had to get all of the facility upstairs and downstairs ready for church today. And so many of you helped out. Young people, teenagers were a huge blessing. They helped serve, and they did it with a smile and with joy, and that was such a blessing. And then even afterward, helped take down tables and chairs and clean up and run vacuums and wipe stuff down, all of that stuff. And I know that was a huge, huge blessing to all of us, especially to Brother Terry. And uh, we definitely, Brother Terry, over here. All right, you're out of your place. Amen. Yeah, we, we got y'all are y'all are just great. And it is such a joy and such a blessing people that pitch in and do what they can to help. And they do it. You do it with a good heart, a servant's heart. And uh, listen, don't take that lightly, because the the love and the care and the camaraderie that we have, not every church is like that. Uh, I know all some of you men that have been in other ministries and has been in other churches, you know that. Not every church is like that, and so I just want to say thank you, and uh, may the Lord bless each and every one of you for uh, being so uh, helpful and having a servant's heart. 
Okay, on uh, the uh, less than important announcements. Wednesday at 7, prayer meeting and Bible study, youth group, um, as well as master clubs. Saturday at 8 in the morning is men's prayer meeting here in the auditorium. Noon is street ministry. We're meeting downtown at Pecan Park. And then um, the one last thing I wanted to mention is September 18th, next Sunday night, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And so come with a prepared heart to um, to spend some time in fellowship with the Lord as we partake in those elements representing his sinless body that was broken for us and then his precious blood that was shed for the, for the remission of our sins. It's a very special occasion. We don't do it every service like some uh, or every week like some churches do. The Bible says, for as oft as ye eat this bread and so forth, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. It's an important, solemn thing. We do it periodically, and so plan on being here next Sunday night. For me personally, I know it's a very meaningful thing, and I trust that it'll be meaningful for you as well. All right, one more thing, not by way of announcement, but something that is also very important. I'd like for my wife, Sister Lynn, to come up here, and we would like to show some honor and uh, some appreciation for someone to whom uh, it is very, very deserving. And so, one moment. So we would like to wish a very special happy birthday to Sister Carol Tvpaw. Sister Carol, I don't know if you expected this or not. Come on up here and face your accusers. <laughs> but uh, we want you to know that we appreciate what a faithful preacher's wife that you've been to Brother Terry as he served here at the church for many, many years, and uh, that is a blessing, and uh, folks, you talk to any pastor anywhere across the country, and problems with staff and families and stuff, sadly, that's the norm, and you know, God's blessed around here from Brother Wilson, Brother Pennell, Brother James, Brother Terry, and then, you know, Brother Glenn, Brother Max, it's just been a, a real, real blessing, a lot of continuity, longevity, and uh, and sweet, sweet um, unity and fellowship, and so that doesn't happen without some good wives supporting their husbands in the ministry, and so we want to say thank you, Sister Carol, for your Christian testimony and your faithfulness. We love you and appreciate you very much. All right, well, let's uh, stand up and sing stand up. Hymn number 413.
Thank you, Sister Rachel. What a huge blessing. Before Brother Davis comes, I'm just going to give you a heads up, fair warning. We're trying to get everything back to normal after the nightmare of COVID. There's one thing that we've got left to do, at least one thing, to get back to normal. We're going to start it next Sunday. Anybody know what that is? We're going to start taking up an offering. (laughs) 
We're going to start having ushers coming forward so I can pick on them and then pass the plate. Now, we'll still have the box out there if you want to drop your offering in there. And, of course, we still have the online giving through our Realm app. And if you don't have that Realm app, you can see Sister Christina. Hold your hand up. She'll get you all fixed up on that. And there's also some, with that Realm app, you get uh, the prayer requests a little bit quicker rather than waiting to get the printed handout. So the Realm app has a lot of benefits by way of announcements and communication, but it also gives you a very easy way to do online giving. But, you know, you say, do you think it's going to do any good? Are we going to take up more money if we pass the plate? Don't know, don't care. I just miss it. I just miss it. So we're going to start passing the offering plate again next Sunday, so be prepared. Brother Davis, you come. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor, for just allowing me to be back at the church again here. I, I'm in a lot of churches, a lot of places. I want to tell you, your pastor and his wife are just incredible people who love God, so genuine, so sincere. It refreshes my spirit just to be with them, and I say that so sincerely. I really, really appreciate them an awful lot. Uh, I haven't really talked a lot about my material, so I'm going to take just a minute to talk about my table back there. I've had several people ask me what the new messages were that I've released since I was here. I was here September two years ago, and these are the new DVDs with uh, lots of graphics. Uh, How to be reconciled to your friend or your enemy and the Christian's Code of Honor, and Folly, the Dead Fly That Spoils Your Life, and also the message that I gave last night on the subject, Your Choices Determine Your Future. I want to also mention, if you, not, if you don't have picture proverbs, I wish I could get every family in America watching picture proverbs every single day, We have it not only on DVD now, but it's also on a flash drive here. If you, lots of people don't have DVD players anymore. Picture Proverbs is every verse in the book of Proverbs with a verse on the left-hand side of the screen, a picture that communicates the meaning of the verse on the right-hand side of the screen. It's narrated with beautiful music and sound effects so that when you see the three Hebrew children in the burning fiery furnace, you actually hear the burning fiery furnace. We used over a thousand different pictures, including over six, about 600 different Bible story pictures. And we recommend that you watch every day the chapter that matches the day of the month. Today is the 11th. You watch chapter 11 as a family. Pause it at least once and say, why is that picture with that verse? If you don't know that Bible story, then leave it frozen on the screen and turn to the passage. It'll be right on the screen. Read the story until somebody can answer that question. If you'll do this regularly, you'll memorize the book of Proverbs without trying And you'll also learn over 500 different Bible stories, which the Bible itself says is where wisdom is found. You ever notice your Bible is not a book of rules and regulations? Your Bible is a book of stories. 
And that is where the principles of the Word of God are found. And that's where wisdom to make life decisions is found as well. We have catalogs back there. You're welcome to take as many as you'd like for yourself, maybe for somebody else. And uh, if you'd like to sign up for our free monthly email newsletter, we'll give you a CD just for signing up. Two weeks ago yesterday, I sent out an email newsletter, and all I did in that email newsletter, well, offered a special, but besides that, is I, I told a story that I had found. The story's entitled, The Man Who Lived Two Lives. And I'm going to use, I spent two days putting that story together a story that happened in the 1860s, and, uh, and I've never heard anybody tell that story before, but it's one of the most phenomenal stories. So anyway, that's the kind of thing I'll answer questions. If you're only interested in audios, we have CDs back there. We also have this flash drive that has 239 audio MP3s. And this flash drive, I call it my lifetime library. It has 459 audio mp3s i think i'm not positive but i think the message i'm giving tonight is on this flash drive and we don't have a video of the message tonight we're hoping to get one actually i appreciate the men back there and your pastor being willing to help me try to get a video of this message i've tried several times not been able to get it yet and so maybe we'll be able to get it tonight and you know people look at the table back there and they see all those messages and they say, wow, you must, you must know a lot of Bible. Well, what it is, is I've been through a lot of trials. And through your trials, you learn things and you share them with others. Saul Family Problems Ministry was not started out of my success. It was started out of my failure. Years ago, I had major problems with one of my daughters and I could not figure out what to do with those problems. And, and if it hadn't been for people encouraging me, standing behind me, I wouldn't even be standing here right now. I mean, it got really, really serious. And, and I won't go into all the details, but um, uh, there are key messages back there that were born not out of my successes, but out of my failures. And I just thank God for continuing his grace in spite of our failures. How many of us fail at some time? All of us. And what do we do with those failures? We try to learn what God wants us to learn through our difficulties and our failures. I think the message tonight may help you. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Evangelist Ken Gobb's life was so shaken by the following experience that he actually wrote a book entitled, God's Got Your Number. He writes, do you believe that God not only loves you, but knows where you are and what you're doing every minute of the day? I certainly do. After an amazing experience I had several years ago. At the time, I was driving on Interstate 75 near Dayton, Ohio, with my wife and children. I'm guessing this occurred back in the 1970s or 80s. We turned off the interstate for a rest and refreshment stop. My wife, Barbara, and children went into the restaurant. I suddenly felt the need to stretch my legs, so I waved them on ahead, saying I would join them later. I bought a soft drink, and as I walked toward the Dairy Queen, feelings of self-pity enshrouded my mind. I love Jesus in my ministry, but I felt drained and burdened. Suddenly, 
the impatient ringing of a telephone nearby jarred me out of my doldrums. It was coming from a phone booth at a service station on the corner. Wasn't anyone going to answer the phone in that phone booth? I need to stop and explain something right here. We haven't always had these things, all right? The, the, I'm, I'm talking about this cell phone that I'm holding in my hand. There was a time when if you traveled then and you wanted to make a telephone call, you had to stop and find a, phone, a pay phone, usually in a phone. But how many of you remember what I'm talking about? Let me see your hand. You're dating yourselves, all right? That's what you're doing. But uh, you had to find a phone in a phone booth, put money in that phone booth, or call the operator in order to make the telephone call. So anyway, this phone was ringing. Noise from the traffic flowing through the busy intersection must have drowned out the sound because the service station attendant continued looking after his customers, oblivious to the incessant ringing. Why doesn't someone answer that phone, I muttered. The ringing continued. I began reasoning. Maybe it's important. What if it's an emergency? Curiosity overcame my indifference. I stepped inside the booth, picked up the phone. Casually, I said hello and took a big sip of my drink. And the operator said, Long distance call for Ken Gall. Now I have to explain something else right here. Not only did you have to use other phones besides cell phones in that day because they weren't invented yet, but if you wanted to make a call and only have to pay to talk to the person that you wanted to talk to, then you would first call the operator and make a person-to-person call and ask them to just ask for that one person. And so this man has picked up the phone and the operator has given his name, long-distance call for Ken Gaw. My eyes widened. And I almost choked on a chunk of ice. Swallowing hard, I said, You're crazy. Then realizing I shouldn't speak to an operator like that, I added, this can't be. I was just walking down the road, not bothering anyone, and the phone was ringing, and the operator interrupted and said, is Ken Gob there? I have a long-distance call for him. It took a moment to gain control of my stammering from surprise, and I finally replied, yes, he's here. Searching for a possible explanation, I wondered if I might be on candid camera. I started smoothing my hair checking my clothes, looking around to see if I could find the camera. Impatiently, the operator repeated, Sir, I have a long-distance call for Ken Gaub. Is he there? Still shaken and perplexed, I asked, How in the world did you reach me here? I was walking down the road. The payphone started ringing. I just answered it on chance. You can't mean me. Well, the operator asked, Is Ken Gaub there or is he not? Yes, ma'am, I am Kim Gobb, I said, finally convinced by the tone of her voice that the call was real. Then I heard the voice in the background, the person making the telephone call say, yes, operator, that's him, that is Ken Gobb. Now I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 19. And before I read this passage, there is one Sunday out of the year, every year that we celebrate especially the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and that is the Sunday that we call Easter Sunday. That is correct. And what was Easter Sunday about anyway? Easter Sunday 
is about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that if we trust him, then we don't have to fear death. We can look forward to our resurrection. Now, the Sunday before Easter Sunday is called what? Palm Sunday. And what does Palms, what is Palm Sunday about? And what does Palm Sunday mean for you and for me? Luke chapter 19, verse 28. This is the passage about Palm Sunday. And when he, Jesus, had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they sat Jesus thereon. Now, why is he sitting on this colt? Because he is offering himself to be their king. In the Old Testament, when someone was to be announced as a king, they would be introduced by riding a colt or a mule. Solomon was introduced as king because he rode upon a mule. And in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, we read the prophecy, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee sitting, riding upon a colt. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Verse 36, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Now the parallel passages to this are found in Matthew 21 and John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, they took branches of palm trees And went forth to meet him. So they're spreading their garments in the path of him. They're spreading palm leaves in front of him. And that's why it is referred to as Palm Sunday. And when he was come now, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king. Notice that. He's offering himself as king. That cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And read verse 41 out loud with me, everybody. Would you please all together? And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Notice that. We'll come back to that in a little while. Saying, if thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. 
For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And shall, verse 44 is my key verse, and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. He is prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Read that last phrase out loud with me, would you please? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, when God comes to visit. You could also call this, how to recognize and redeem the opportunities of life. He said, this is going to happen because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. My outline is very simple tonight. I want to ask and answer three questions. Question number one, who was being visited? Question number two, what was the time? Question number three, What was the visitation? Thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Who is being visited? What was the time? What was the visitation? Answer to question number one. Who was being visited? Now I've never been there, but all my life I've heard about it. In fact, since I was raised in a Christian home and have been in church all my life, I suppose I've heard that city's name mentioned about as much as any city in the world The city's name was Jerusalem. Say it please everybody. Jerusalem. It is a beautiful word that means the city of peace. The city itself is almost as old as the world. There was probably a settlement there 5,000 years ago. For more than 3,000 years, Jerusalem has played an important role in almost every generation. On almost any day. In any country in the world, it is highly probable that you would watch or read some story or article about Jerusalem. And it's been that way all of my life, and it is more that way now than it was even 30 or 40 years ago. Jerusalem is not great for the same reason that other cities are great. Jerusalem is not great because of her agriculture, or her art, or her education, or her commerce, or her industry, or her finance. Jerusalem is great. Why? Simply because God chose that city as his city. Twice in 1 Kings, God said that Jerusalem was, quote, the city which he had chosen to put his name there. At least six times in the Bible, Jerusalem is called the city of God. It is also called the city of Jehovah, the mountain of the Lord, the holy mountain of Jehovah. It is called Zion, which means citadel. The Lord himself referred to Jerusalem and to no other place as my city in Isaiah 45, 13. He also called it my holy mountain. In Isaiah 62, 4, the Lord called Jerusalem Hephzibah, which meant My delight is in her. It's no wonder that Matthew referred to Jerusalem as the holy city. It was Jerusalem that King David made his capital city. Forty-six times Jerusalem is called 
the city of David. And it was in Jerusalem that Solomon built the most beautiful temple the world has ever seen. So wonderful, so beautiful, so glorious, and so special was it that when it was dedicated, God himself came down and filled that building with a cloud of his presence. During the reign of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, brought a great army against the city of Jerusalem, was going to take the city, sent a threatening letter to King Hezekiah, who spread that letter out before the Lord. And in Isaiah 37, the Lord answered Hezekiah's prayer and said, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, for I will defend this city for mine own sake. And that night, the angel of God went forth and slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel wiped out an entire army. Through the centuries, God often blessed the city of Jerusalem and often chastened that city. My, but this city was special to God like no other city in the history of the world has ever been or ever will be. So special that God himself decided to come and visit this city in person. Not many people knew who had come into the temple in Jerusalem that day. Just one old man and one old woman, Simeon and Anna. But for the first time in human flesh as a month and a half old baby boy, Jesus was carried into the city of Jerusalem. I think the angels must have been looking on in excitement. It would not be his last visit. After all, it was prophesied by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 That he would sit on a throne in the city of Jerusalem someday. He still will. At age 12, he was in Jerusalem again. It was at Jerusalem that he cleansed the temple early in his ministry. Who was being visited? Jerusalem. And because it was the capital city of Israel... There's a sense in which it was a visit to all of the Jews and all of Israel. Number two, what was the time? Our key verse there, verse 44. This judgment is coming because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now I want you to turn, hold your place there in Luke chapter 19 and turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5, because this word time and its meaning are extremely significant in this passage. The Greek word there, because thou knewest not the time, is kairos. K-A-I-R-O-S. That Greek word occurs 82 times in the New Testament, and one of those times is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Let's read beginning at verse 15. Notice that it says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, 
Same Greek word kairos, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So, verse 16 is telling us how to be wise instead of foolish. And also tells us how to understand what the will of the Lord is for our lives. Now think for just a minute. Would you please? How important is it for you to be wise instead of foolish? How important is it for you to be able to understand what the will of the Lord is? And how can you do that? It is by redeeming the time. Now, there are two different Greek words translated time in the New Testament. One is chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, and the other is kairos. Chronos is the word from which we get our word chronology. It has to do with time in the sense of minutes and hours and days, time passing. In John chapter 5 verse 6, there was a sick man by the pool of Bethesda who Jesus healed. He had been there a long time and that word is chronos. But the word in Luke 19.44 and Ephesians 5.16 is not chronos, it is kairos. It is referring to a season of opportunity that will come and then be gone. The two words are distinguished in Acts chapter 1 verse 7 where Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times, chronos, or the seasons, kairos. The Greek lexicon defines kairos this way. It is a limited period of time distinguished by special circumstances. Now, there are people who take this verse and they say, well, redeem the time. That means you use your time wisely. That is a principle that you could draw from this verse. But that is not the main meaning of this verse. The main meaning of this verse is... You have to redeem the special opportunities that God sends you in life. Now watch me. God is not just interested in when you were born and when you will die. Primarily, God is interested in the seasons of your life. In fact, this is the key to understanding why you are alive right now. Why were you not born a hundred years ago? Why were you not born a thousand years ago or five hundred years ago? The reason is because God planned for you to live through special seasons. And that's the reason he chose the time of your birth when he did. And he knows the time of your death. And in between there, there are seasons of opportunity that God is going to send your way. Watch my hands here, all right? Some people think that life is like this. You're born, you live, you die. That's not it. Some people think life is like this. You're born, you live, you die. That's not it either. Some people think it's like this. You're born, you live, you die. That's not it either. Here it is. You're born. And you were born when you were born because sometime after you were born, God could see that he had a kairos, a season of opportunity that he was going to send your way. 
If you will recognize that, if you will redeem that, if you will buy that opportunity up, then your whole life's potential and productivity will go up. Then you continue on through life. And another kairos comes your way. And you seize upon that and your whole life's potential and productivity goes up. And you go on through life and another one comes your way. And, and, and you seize that and another one. And your life is not about the length of your life. It is about how much you redeem the kairoses that God sends your way. In fact, there are people who live 80 to 90 years and their life is virtually wasted because they don't grab the opportunities that God sends them. Jesus only lived 33 and a half years. But it was the most complete life that has ever been lived on the face of the earth because he redeemed every kairos that the heavenly father gave him. Now, because God has planned for your life so that it can and will pass by various seasons of opportunity. In fact, Daniel 2.21 says that God changes the times and the seasons. You have to recognize and redeem. It means pay the price to get them. Your kairos may last a few minutes, a few hours, a day, several days, a week, a month. But eventually, if you don't recognize and redeem your opportunity, it will pass you by and your whole life potential will be stunted. Instead of you redeeming that kairos and your potential and productivity goes up, your life just goes like this and essentially flatlines without you ever having a heart attack. God sends spring to plant and fall to harvest. If you wait till fall to plant, then you'll lose your opportunity and maybe waste your time trying to plant. There will be times in your life of unusual opportunity, times when your life's productivity can reach its greatest potential. You seize upon those times. Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 brings this out further. The godly man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Jesus demonstrated this in John chapter 4. When he saw the people coming to meet him out of the city of Samaria, after he had witnessed to and won the Samaritan woman to himself, and he turned to his disciples and said, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. Jesus saw his kairos right there in front of him and immediately chose to spend two days there redeeming that opportunity. I want you to turn with me and let me show you a passage in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 2, Jesus answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs 
of the times. That word times there is kairos. Can you not discern, he said. You can see all these other things coming. You can look at the weather and discern things. Can you not discern the signs of the kairoses, the seasons of opportunity that God sends you in your life? You plan your life based on the seasons of opportunity that God sends your way. When you see a kairos coming, you do anything you have to do in order to redeem that. Now, one of the reasons people failed to redeem their kairoses was given at the end of Ephesians 5.16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if you've heard me preach a lot, you know there are times I never refer to the Greek, but it really helps explain these passages. And there are two Greek words for evil in the New Testament. One is kakos, the other is poneros. Kakos is evil in general. There is evil all around us. Everybody could say amen, that's so, right? That word occurs in Romans chapter 13, verse 3. But the Greek word for evil in Ephesians 5, 16 is not kakos. It is the word poneros. It is not evil in the abstract. It is evil actively working against the good thing that God is trying to do in your life. Here's your life. You're moving through life. Here's the kairos that comes And it's like Satan can see that you're having this great opportunity that is honestly going to damage his kingdom if you grab it and he will, he will actively work against you redeeming that opportunity. He will do everything he can to defeat your redeeming that opportunity. Let me illustrate this from the, from an Old Testament Bible character, Abraham. Lived 175 years. But the Bible doesn't tell us all the details of all those years. If it did, his life would be as thick as the Bible itself Maybe Who knows? You can read everything that God tells us about Abraham in 30 to 40 minutes. What was God telling us? He, God is telling us the key kairoses, the key seasons of Abraham's life. His departure from Ur. His arrival in Canaan where he built an altar. The famine in Canaan and his flight to Egypt, which was the wrong response to a trial. His deference and yielding his rights to Lot. His battle with the kings and his paying tithes to Melchizedek. God's covenant with him. His failure with Hagar. The birth of Isaac. His offering of Isaac on Mount Moriah. Arguably... Abraham offering, being willing to offer his son on Mount Moriah would have been, don't you agree? Maybe the greatest trial of his life. And you know, it's not always easy to see, but sometimes our greatest trials are also our greatest kairoses. Our greatest trials may also be our greatest seasons of opportunity. And you look at other men in the Bible, Noah, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and so on. And you can see, what are you reading about? You're reading about them redeeming the opportunities of their lives. Now, a kairos may come specifically to an individual. Or it may come to a whole group of people all at once. 
Your home may be sent a Kairos. A city may be sent a Kairos. A nation may be sent a Kairos. A church may be sent a Kairos. I remember preaching this very message to my church when I was a pastor about 20 years ago or so and saying to them, folks, we have before us right now a season of opportunity as a church. And it is significant enough that your personal life and your family life will be affected in some way negatively if we do not as a church body fully redeem this opportunity. I said it is significant enough that our family chose to postpone the building of a house and chose to live in a mobile home for several more years so that we can give $555 a month to help the church redeem this season of opportunity that we have. And the church to this day is now able to, able to recognize the fruits of us redeeming that season of opportunity. Now, because Satan knows the power of God's kairoses, And because he is often able to see them coming, sometimes he will do two or three things to get people to not redeem their kairoses. Number one, he keeps them from seeing it. Those people in Luke chapter 19 verse 44 did not see it because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Secondly, If you do see it, he may get you so busy doing other things that you don't take the time to redeem this opportunity. But wait a minute, listen to me. Everything else you're doing is not as important as this thing that God is putting in your life right here, right now. The third thing that Satan will do is he will offer a substitute or a counterfeit kairos that looks so good that the person will take the substitute and thereby miss the real thing. Just before Jesus began his ministry, after 30 years of waiting, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. His greatest seasons of opportunity are right in front of him, and Satan offered him all the kingdoms of this world, And Jesus did not dispute Satan's ability to give him those kingdoms. Wow, what an opportunity. But it was a substitute counterfeit opportunity that would have caused Jesus to miss the real thing. Luke chapter 21 verse 8 gives us another picture You might want to turn over there and see it. Luke chapter 21 verse 8 gives us another picture of a substitute counterfeit kairos. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus said this. Now, pay close attention here or you'll miss this and it's very significant. Jesus said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name saying... I am Christ, the time draweth near. This is a false Christ claiming to be the Christ 
and saying, The time, the kairos, the opportunity draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. Jesus said there are going to come false Christ who offer false opportunities. You don't want to take those opportunities. They're not real. They're fake. They're counterfeit. Let me illustrate this for you. I remember many years ago now talking to a preacher and his wife. They called me on the telephone. His daughter at age 29 had just met the one that they all felt was the perfect match for her. They described to me how well they got along, how well their personalities matched, how well they communicated, how much he loved the Lord. And I'm listening to all that saying, well, wow, this, this looks ideal. <laughs> what is the problem here? And then I found out what the problem was. It was just one thing wrong. She had tired of waiting and met and married a divorced man three years earlier. After all, at age 26, how could she ever hope for any other opportunities? And he was a handsome man with a good job, and she did fall in love with him at the time. And I would quickly add here, there, there, I'm sure there are folks here tonight, divorce and remarried, you're welcome here. God's mercies are new every day. And uh, nobody's any better than anybody else, but this single godly young lady, God's will clearly for her would have been to wait and marry a single godly young man what was this she was offered? A substitute counterfeit kairos. She took it and three years later she was trying to figure out, whoa, what kind of mess have I gotten myself into? Each time I preach this message, or, or a few times I preach this message, I've had somebody come up to me and ask, how do you tell the difference between a real God sent kairos and a counterfeit one? Number one is by the word of God itself. If God forbids something, then it is not an opportunity for you. You may think that working, serving booze in a tavern is a wonderful opportunity because you're going to make a lot of money, but it is not a kairos. It is a counterfeit substitute thing. Number two, how do you tell? If the difference between a real God sent Kairos and a counterfeit one by wise, godly counsel. If two or more wise, godly counselors, and your pastor's probably going to be in that group of counselors, and they give you a green light, and, and, and if you're not married yet, your parents are probably those key people, and then also your pastor. If they give you a green light, then it is probably safe for you to advance through that intersection in your life. Now, let me point out something very significant here. Listen to this next statement very carefully. The ultimate grief expressed by the Son of God while he was here on this earth was because a kairos was not redeemed. Only two times in the Gospels do we read that Jesus wept. 
One of those is in John chapter 11, verse 35, that says very simply, Jesus wept. It was at the tomb of Lazarus. The Greek word is only used there, and it simply means weeping or shedding of tears. But the word used in Luke 19, and that is in uh, verse 41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. That word is used many times in the New Testament and refers to extreme grief, extreme agony and brokenness. It was the weeping that a father or mother would do if they lost a child. That Greek word was used in Matthew chapter 2 verse 18 where we read in Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning. That was the where that wicked King Herod sent those soldiers to slaughter all the babies age two and under. And those parents were weeping with a horrendous grief for their lost children. That is the same word. Several years ago now, I watched a video, and I can't find this video now. I'd love to find it again, but I'll just tell you as best I could can what I remember. The video was on the subject of compassion failure among medical doctors. They were interviewing a lady medical doctor in a country in Africa who was ministering in a clinic there And there was extreme disease and famine taking place in that country. And she was telling what it was like. And she said, in America, a doctor may have to tell parents once every two or three months that they have lost their baby or their child. She said, where I was ministering in Africa It was every two or three days. The parents would bring the child in and they would say, please help my baby. And the the baby was maybe starving to death or maybe there was a terrible disease and the baby's almost gone. And maybe a few minutes or hours later, the, the doctor had to come out and look at the parents and say to the parents, I am so sorry. I did everything I could, but your baby died. And that doctor said this, the noise, the sound, the wail that a mother makes when she loses her baby is unlike any other sound you have ever heard a human being make. She said it will go straight to the very innermost part of your soul. And it is so terrible, she said. And I was hearing it every two or three days. She said, one morning I got up, or I woke up, and I needed to go to the clinic, and I couldn't go. She said, I couldn't get out of bed. I could not stand the thought of having to tell another mother she had lost her baby and hear that wailing cry. That is the cry that the Son of God had 
as he came to Jerusalem and looked at it and began to weep and weep and wail and mourn as he thought of what Jerusalem was about to face. Those people at Jerusalem didn't realize they had a kairos at all. They also didn't realize they were experiencing the greatest kairos of all of history. You know, there is a great mystery here that I don't understand. And I don't think anybody understands this. What am I talking about? I'm talking about after he was essentially, by the, though there were many people out there putting the palm leaves and, the, and their outer garments down and welcoming him as king, the leaders of the Jews and most other were not accepting him. They rejected him as king. And yet this was a legitimate offer to become their king. But that very week, Jesus would die on the cross be placed in a tomb, and the following Sunday be raised from the dead, Easter Sunday. How do you reconcile those two thoughts? I have no idea how you reconcile them. We can ask God when we get to heaven. I don't think anybody understands it. Who was being visited? Jerusalem and all the Jews. What was the time? It was their greatest opportunity. And number three, what was the visitation? There have been many visitations before, but none quite like this. The greatest visit of ever, ever, God in the flesh offered himself to the city which he had chosen as his city. He visited them to be their leader. You study that Greek word for visitation and it means this. He came to bishop them, to shepherd them, to lead them. What could they have had? They could have had a king. They could have had peace. As he said in verse 42, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace... But now they're hid from thine eyes. When has Jerusalem ever known peace? Jesus, God in the flesh, Son of God, man among men, Prince of Peace, begins to weep as he thinks what Jerusalem could have had and could have been. Here he is riding along on this colt, offering himself to be the king. He sees the city Not only where they were right then, but he could see into the future. Most people have difficulty even seeing the present. Accurately, their eyes are too blinded by the unreal to see the real. But Jesus could see both the present and the future. His heart was heavy over the present. His heart literally broke in two over the future. Two other truths here about a kairos. Number one. You may face extreme consequences for not redeeming your kairos. And number two, it may be many years before those consequences come. 33 years after this, 66 AD, Jerusalem would rebel against the Roman Empire. 
Titus, the Roman general, would be sent by Rome to bring her into subjection once again. Just before Passover in 70 AD, all the other cities were back under Rome's iron boot and Titus surrounded the city of Jerusalem. He had 54,000 Roman soldiers plus thousands of other soldiers. The siege lasted nearly five months. People inside the walls of Jerusalem starved to death. Dirt was piled along the walls. Finally, the walls were scaled. 600,000 Jews were killed. 97,000 more were led away as slaves. Portions of the wall were torn down. The temple was taken apart piece by piece. Why did all that happen? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. It seems so small and insignificant, but, when it, but, but it wasn't. When God comes to visit, it is no small matter, folks. The first significant visit of your life may be when he speaks to your heart and says to you, I want to save you. I am the Savior. I have died for you. Will you trust me as Savior? And if you will accept that opportunity then there are many other opportunities that can come your way. He may visit and visit again and visit again, but eventually there will come the key visit that may be called the last visit. God visits, but not without limit. Revelation 3.20, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking and he may be at the door of someone's heart tonight and he's knocked before and he's knocking again why is he there he wants to shepherd you he wants to save you he wants to lead you will you let him do so there came a last time for God to visit the world of Noah's day And finally the door of the ark closed and the flood came. There came a last time for God to visit Sodom and Gomorrah. Watch this. One day Jesus passed near Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Blind Bartimaeus was by the roadside, heard all the commotion and said, What's all this noise? And they said, It's Jesus. He's passing by right now. And blind Bartimaeus starts crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They said, blind man, be quiet. He said, I'm not going to be quiet. This is my kairos. This is my one opportunity. I will not miss it. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus walks over and says, what you want? <laughs> and he says, Oh Lord, that I might receive my sight and watch what happened. The Kairos in blind Bartimaeus' life met the Kairos in the life of the Son of God. And when two Kairoses meet and engage together, which sometimes happens in yours and other people's lives, an explosion of the miraculous takes place and blind Bartimaeus can see. Wow. May I ask you, what are you doing with the kairoses that God is sending you? As a little child, you looked up in the sky, you saw the moon and the stars, and you thought, there's a God up there. What was that? That was 
a visit. You remember that day that you were in such a mess. Your life was in such a mess and you prayed and you said, God, if you'll just get me out of this mess, I'll serve you. And it's like everything just straightened out. What was that? It was a visit. One night your wife's life or your child's life hung in the balance. And then it was as though somebody intervened. What was that? It was a visit. One evening you looked down into the still face of a loved one. And you felt a strong hand of comfort on your shoulder. You looked around. But nobody was standing there. But somebody was there. What was that? It was a visit. That near disaster that you wonder how it was that you were spared. You know what I would suggest you do if you've lived very long? I would suggest that you think about, maybe even write down, all the times that God has spared your life. Twelve years of age. I was swimming in the ocean off of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But I couldn't swim. I got a life raft and thought, I, everybody else is having fun. I'm going to go out. And I went out. But I went out too far. And I went out so far, I realized I'm in trouble. And I hollered for help, but I was so far out that nobody could hear me. And I kept going further and I thought, what am I going to do? I can't swim. Twelve years of age, I stepped off of that life raft because I didn't know what else to do. And I went all the way under and I thought, this is it. And then it was like something just sort of shoved me forward and I took one step and I could barely feel ground. And then another And then another, and I had about at least a hundred yards to go to get all the way in. Why are you alive today, Brother Davis? Because I had a visit, that's why. Fifteen years years of age, I was, actually I was sixteen years of age, and I was riding a motorcycle in Gaffney, South Carolina, and I was behind a long line of traffic, and in a, a motorcycle behind a long line of traffic sort of hides from everybody. And there was a car very impatiently waiting right here. And when I finally got close enough, he didn't see me and pulled out right in front of me. And there was traffic coming at me. There was this car Right in front of me, I was looking at a solid wall of steel. There was no way I could survive. To this day, I really don't understand how I did it. It couldn't have been me. It had to be God. I swerved all the way across in front of the oncoming traffic and got onto the edge next to the curb. And when I finally got stopped, I was shaking like a leaf And I remember looking back and seeing a car spinning his wheels trying to get out of there because he knew he had just caused my death. You know what that was? That was a visit. And I could give more. Let me... 
Go back to my opening story and Ken Gobb has just answered the telephone and the voice on the other end of the line has just said, yes, operator, that's him, that's Ken Gobb. He just answered a payphone while he's walking by and he said, I listened dumbfounded to a strange voice identify herself. I'm Millie from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, Mr. Gobb, but I'm desperate. Please help me. What can I do for you? She began weeping. Finally, she regained control and continued. I was about to commit suicide. I just finished writing a note when I began to pray and tell God I really didn't want to do it. Then I remembered hearing you preach, and I thought if I could just talk to you, you could help me. I knew that was impossible because I didn't know how to reach you. I didn't know how anyone could help me find you. Then some numbers came to my mind, and I just scribbled them down. I looked at the numbers and thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had a miracle from God and he's given me Ken's phone number? I decided to try calling it. I can't believe I'm talking to you. Are you in your office in California? Lady, I don't have an office in California. My office is in Yakima, Washington. Oh, really? Then where are you? Don't you know? I responded, you made the call. She said, I don't even know what area code I'm calling. I just dialed the number that was on this paper. Ma'am, you won't believe this. I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. Really? She said, what are you doing there? And I kidded her and said, well, I'm answering the phone. It was ringing when I walked by, so I answered it. Knowing this encounter could have only been arranged by God, I began to counsel her, and as she told me of her despair and frustration, the presence of the Holy Spirit flooded the phone booth, giving me words of wisdom beyond my ability in minor moments. She prayed the sinner's prayer and met Jesus who would lead her out of her situation into a new life. I walked away from that phone booth with an electrifying sense of our Heavenly Father's concern for each of us. What were the astronomical odds of this happening with all the millions of phones, innumerable conversations, Combinations of numbers, only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to call that number in that phone booth at that moment in time, forgetting my melancholy, now bursting with exhilaration. I headed back to my family, wondering if they would believe my story. Maybe I better not even tell them. But then I couldn't contain it. Barb, you won't believe this, honey. God knows where I am. And he knows where you are. And he's giving you opportunities. Maybe right now he's giving you one of the greatest opportunities of your life. To be saved. To surrender to him. Whatever it might be. Can you hear his voice? Will you redeem the time, the opportunity that he's given you? Would you bow with me please? Let every head bow, every eye closed. Thank you for listening. I preached longer than I meant to, but you listened so well tonight. Maybe, maybe you've got an opportunity. Maybe that, I preached about pride this morning, and as I was sitting over here, I thought to myself, I wonder if people realize that, not always, but in some cases, the reason people don't come to the altar It's because of pride. What are people going to think about me if I walk down there and kneel down? They're going to think I'm a terrible sinner. You know what I'm going to think? I'm going to think there's a humble person who wants something from God. That's what I always think when I see people in the altar. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you don't need to. 
Whatever you do, don't miss whatever opportunities God sends your way. Father, thank you for the way the people have listened. Bless the invitation now. In Jesus' name we pray, Pastor. Amen. Let's continue with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I'd like to open up the invitation and invite you to come and pray. Maybe you would say, I haven't, haven't had any opportunities here lately. Maybe you need to come down to the altar and say, Lord, I, help me to look for the opportunities. If you'd be looking, he'd probably be providing. And then once he provides, you've got to redeem him. You've got to be willing to act upon it. We've said it so many times that the Christian life is a life of surrender. It's a life of trust. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of relationship. Lord Jesus Christ wants to give you opportunities where you can see his miracles. That's an amazing story we just heard. And I don't know that God would do something that amazing in your life, but I'll tell you what, the little things that he does so often, maybe not every day, but frequently if you're following him and serving him, you'll find those opportunities. They'll present themselves out of the blue, a conversation, time at a restaurant, time in the grocery store, maybe somebody that you just bump into that you didn't even expect to see. God is a God of opportunity and he presents them. He wants to give you those opportunities. You come if God spoke to your heart. Come and talk to the Lord. When I got right with the Lord in 1986, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you open the door and I'll walk through it. I told the Lord quite plainly, I said, I'm not going to try to beat doors down. I'm not going to try to create opportunities. But I said, you open the doors and I'll be willing to walk through them. And when I surrendered to that, God started opening doors, doors that I would have never even dreamed of. I would have never... I would have never looked for the doors. I wouldn't listen, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the Lord being the one that opened the doors. My life and God's my, my plan and my hope and my dreams and my expectations for where my life would end up has been nothing like what God has done. But I gotta say, God's plan and God's purpose is always best. And I'm thankful that. He has always, always overridden my expectations, and he's always had something far, far better.
Amen. If that was a blessing to you tonight, say amen. amen. Tremendous, tremendous message. Thank you, Brother Davis, for all of the messages that you've preached while you've been here. I, I couldn't help but take a little bit of trip down memory lane. I remember the first time as a teenager when the Lord showed up in my life, that time of visitation, when he showed up and I wasn't expecting him. I didn't want him to show up when he did. And I'm like, no, not, God, I, 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 I want you in my life, but not today. I've got plans. And uh, the Lord showed up, and I resisted him. And uh, I'll tell you what, I have regretted that. I went through a lot of sorrow and a lot of heartache for really uh, over two years just because I resisted that opportunity that the Lord gave me to repent and to get right. And uh, I'm thankful that he was merciful and faithful. He didn't give up on me. He continued to work. And thank God I got right with the Lord. Now that story about the phone call, that is about as amazing as, as they come. I had a, I thought my story was pretty good, I, but nothing compared to that. I was an assistant out in Idaho, and one of my <coughs> responsibilities was every week I'd get the visitor cards from uh, the previous Sunday. And I was going through the visitor cards, and I was making some phone calls. And I made one phone call, and as I'm dialing the push-button phone, evidently I got the two of the last four digits, I got the two middle digits transposed. And so um, when, when the young lady answered the phone, I said, Hello, this is uh, Pastor Mitchell. I'm from blah, 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 and uh, just wanted to touch base with you. She, she says, you're a, you're a pastor? And I said, Yes, ma'am. Who am I speaking with? Well, her name was Jamie, and she says, You're a pastor? And I, I said, Yes, ma'am. And she couldn't get over the fact that I was a pastor. She said, Why are you calling? And so I told her, and she said, You're a pastor? And I said, yes, ma'am, what, what's going on? Well, to make a long story short, she had just moments before just ingested a bunch of pills wow. in the process of committing suicide. And um, I was able to talk her into calling 911. And uh, she called 911. She told me the address. We rushed down there and got there just after the paramedics. And as they were wheeling her to the, the uh, ambulance, I was able to say hi to her and tell her, you know, introduce her face to face. And then uh, I think it was the next day or the day after, they had a little bit of a waiting time at the hospital for suicide cases. But uh, we were able to go down and visit her, witness to her. She was a, a wayward young lady, had good parents, good Christian parents, and uh, she had strayed away from the Lord and had found her life in a mess, and uh, so we were able to pray for her, and that was an amazing thing, and I was thankful that the Lord gave me that opportunity, and the point that I wanted to make is not just to tell that story, but I believe with all of my heart that more opportunities come as we're just faithfully doing what we're supposed to do. If you'll recall, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he said, we assayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered us not. They were assaying. They were trying to do the best that they knew. There was an opportunity. There was a need. They said, we're going to go to Bithynia. But then the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not what I want. And that night, he had that Macedonian call, and God opened up a whole nother door. If we will all assay to go to Bithynia, be faithful, and do what you know to do, look for those opportunities, then God will open up those doors, 
And uh, you'll be able to redeem that time, and God will do some amazing things in your life. Let's all stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed. Be sure and check out all of Brother Davis's DVDs out there on the table. Buy all of them, and uh, you'll be okay with that, right, Brother Davis? They buy all of them? All right. Brother Ben Smoker, if you would, close us in prayer.